HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program was brought to you by the Academy Opus Caseus, whose training programs bring cheese professionals to the next level. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is your host, Greg Blaze. Today's show is the first in the series about lost cheeses. Uh, when we, we say that, we mean these are cheeses or styles of cheese that have either been literally or essentially lost due to industrialization or like a shift in cultural preference, misconception, ecological changes, and so on. Uh, for our first cheese ep- lost uh, for our first lost cheese episode, I'm happy to have Joe Salonia of Gormino Cheese in the studio today. How are you doing today, Joe? I am doing fantastic, Greg. Thanks for having me here today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. Joe isn't just great at cheese; he's also a talented musician. Um, I will always call you Sting Chef, your Instagram <laughs> handle. Um, I just like saying the. I just like saying Stink Chef. Makes me feel good. Uh, welcome to the show, man. We've been talking about this series for a long time, and it was actually inspired by a conversation we had about Emmentaler, which is the focus of our episode today. Before we start talking about Emmentaler, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company, Gormino Cheese, and how you personally got to be passionate about the amazing Swiss cheeses that you represent. Sure, thanks. Um, Gormino... Cheese is kind of a, uh, a misunderstood word for some because uh, the word cannot automatically make you think of uh, Swiss cheeses. But as you uh, get to understand who they are and how they came to be, um, it's fun to understand uh, how uh, they're able to help bring authenticity to the category. They, have, uh, they became a company in 2000, and this was a time <laughs> after the late 90s fallout of uh, the Swiss Cheese Union when that broke apart. And, and during that time, there was about, about 650 Emmentaler dairies and had been reduced down to about 135. In a real quick, in a real quick way, um, let me know what the Swiss cheese you know, union was, was and why it fell apart. Well, that came together right around after World War II, and it was to help to protect 
the 600 or so Emmentaler dairies to have a kind of a non-competing kind of relationship to help them uh, get their cheeses out into the world. And, the, and essentially the political government was going to protect them and help them you know, sell their cheese. And there was maybe about 30 or so companies within Switzerland which would help negotiate those cheeses out of Switzerland. And in the late 90s, there was a political fallout. I don't know the details too much of why, but basically political reasons had, that had fallen apart. And other things have happened since then, too, besides the Emmentaler story. But how it affected Emmentaler was that it automatically put 650 dairies kind of at odds with each other. They're all like now... They're all competing against one another. Yeah. And so it was a chance for a couple big companies to get the monopoly. That, that kind of happened. Sure. And then uh, some just withdrew. They didn't want anything to do with it. They didn't want to deal with it? It seems like they either didn't want to deal with it or just became it, where their model for the way they were operating wasn't sustainable, sadly. So you went from about 600 or so dairies down to what it is today, around 135 or so. And a, a, couple, day, a couple years later... Take it to 2000, 2001, five cheesemakers decided to strike out on their own and become uh, what was then only maybe the fifth company in Switzerland that was negotiating and, and doing their own dealings and exporting cheese. And that is how Gormino was born. That is when Gormino was born. You know, so you're really dealing with what I would like to think are five badass cheesemakers yeah. you know, enough, with enough confidence and star power in there in their uh, make, and in some, a lot of them were, you know, world had coveted world championship titles, gold, silvers. Uh, they were These were some of the best cheesemakers in, in the world, not only in Switzerland. I, I think that's not an exaggeration. I think when you talk about Switzerland cheesemakers, you're, you're talking in the top of the, of the category as far as cheesemaking. Sure. You know, uh, and the, the, those, there's five folks who started this company, and uh, now we are... 13, I believe it is, 13 cheesemakers who comprise the company of Gormino. 11, about 11 make Emmentaler. It's either two or three that make Gruyere. And that is the core of who Gormino is. So Gormino is essentially a cooperative of cheesemakers and offenors operating in the heart of Switzerland, in Lagnau, which is in the heart of the Emmental. So we're the only last... We're the, we're the only company that's making and aging Emmentaler in the Emmental. So you're the last ones left. That is, yeah. If you're talking about geography, we're the last ones left is, who's in the Emmental aging Emmentaler. But when I say that, you know, when so Gormino represents the best of the best made where it's supposed to be being made out of the milk that it's supposed to be being made of. And um, you know, I notice you're wearing a shirt in here that says "Save the Emmentaler," yeah. and um, is that what Gormino stands for for saving those cheeses that they're making? Well, we, you know, we're 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 Gruyere and Emmentaler makers, and this is a kind of this is a campaign that we're embracing. We think the market is is poised for better work in in the Emmentaler category. I agree with that. Thank you. That's good to hear. It really is. Um, Saving the Emmentaler kind of echoes really more to uh, embracing and understanding the, the village you know, dairy maker. Um, if we are, uh, you know, because the, the cheese is misunderstood because you see a lot of it on a grand scale. And you, you, can, you can tend to think that there is massive volume. I don't think there at. is massive volume okay. of Emmentaler. I mean, as a cheesemonger, um, and one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show 
and do a show about lost cheeses is that I see less and less Emmentaler. Okay. At least amongst, you know, amongst, amongst cheese shops that I feel just personally should be carrying it. And when I say Emmentaler, I mean the entire wheel, the 250-pound mammoth that, you know, I used to have to roll up the friggin' aisles of Dean and DeLuca and then, like, get five people to cut apart properly. Well, I think that's the piece that's kind of challenged and has uh, and is missing right now from the market. I think it's I think the cheese is log- logistically challenging. It's gigantic. Yeah, it's the best, you know, philosophically it's the best match for a mom and pop small shop, but meanwhile, Why? Still, well, it it embodies the you know, everything that uh, that you would love about cheese. It really, you know, the story, the history, the affinage, the the village dairy, the f- the familial you know uh, approach to making and ch- you know making cheese, the, the history and agriculture behind it. Usually, you're dealing with a fourth or fifth generation family that's making it. They're, they're not fly by nights. You know, this is a cheese that the culture of Switzerland is constantly trying to improve. You know, year after year, generation after generation. But yet, they've taken 500 uh, makers and reduced that to a hundred. And out of those hundred, you've only found five that are willing to group together. To keep making the cheese. Well, I think there's other groups, and I think that that is a side effect of the collateral damage of the political fall. I don't think anybody wanted that to happen. It's just how it happened. But, see, I mean, and that's, I guess, my my point or my question is, so when, we, when, I, when I'm asked what, what do I think is a lost cheese, I would always say Emmenthaler because it was something that I always sold. Uh, and, and I sold it whole. I bought it whole. I cut it up, you know, the way it was supposed to be chopped up. And then, you know, it, it was it was when someone came up to my counter and asked me, hey, I need some Swiss cheese. I just assumed that that's what they were asking me for. And it was amazing. And now as I visit cheese counters and maybe I'm wrong, but I've seen a few cheese counters in my day. I, I don't know if I see that anymore. And if you're telling me the reasons mostly for that and for your campaign to save it are uh, political, then um, that's a big deal. So what do we do to reverse that trend? I, th- I think there's, there's been a gap in during that time of the political fallout and then the, the folks handling cheese now, there's been a gap now where maybe they didn't come up seeing the cheese like the way you have. There's younger mongers who maybe haven't even had the chance to... Are you telling me I'm old? <laughs> you're, you're a little older than uh, than some. You're old, I'm, you're younger. Because if you're than calling me old, I'm throwing you out. You of are here older right now. than dirt. <laughs> you, Parts of you me have are. seen it all. But, anyway, but there's less experience. How about that? Less experienced moggers, uh, perhaps, who uh, maybe haven't seen a, a full wheel getting broken down in their time of mongering. Like, like you're saying, you don't see it. So why like, not though? I think the the proliferation of the loaf business has been done so well that that's how most folks, whether it's my Uncle Louie or maybe a, a new monger, relates to the cheese now. They don't realize that it – maybe they know it comes off a whole wheel, but it's like this uh, mystical being or something. Like, where is this whole wheel? Mystical beings are yeah. neat. yeah. So when you actually see a whole wheel, it's like, holy God, look at the size of that thing. Right. And then you try to lift it, you can't, li- you need some help. You need people to you help can, you out. Yeah, it's, it's like, a, it's not just, it's like, a, you can't believe how heavy it is. You could hurt yourself on it. You could lose a finger. You could lose you a could finger. Lose, you could hurt yourself. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's just interesting to me because it was, a, it was an easy, not an easy, but a very, well, yeah, it was a very easy choice for me to 
talk about lost cheeses and talk about Emmentaler because I haven't purchased one and I'm, I'm in years, and that might just be because of the shops I'm working at, but I don't think so. Well, distribution too. Let's not forget, you know, distribution has kind of moved away um, from from the way I've been tracking it a little bit. Well, yeah. you were a cheese distributor, Joe. You worked yeah. for the Cheese Works for many years. I worked with you there, in the and you uh-huh. were working on the East Coast and the West Coast. Uh-huh. And did you see, uh, you know, people bringing in? Do you? I mean, do you think the consumer, the uh, the consumer, or the or the cheese importer just wants work done for them? They want work, you know, to be done like quarter wheels, half wheels, loaf shaped pieces of cheese. Well, I think the good distributors that really are earnest in doing good work in cheese love getting in a whole wheel them and cutting it themselves. Why? Because it gets them excited and it makes them passionate. It keeps them passionate about the cheese. But, the, but does it make the cheese taste better? Absolutely, it tastes better. Well, from anything fresh cut off a whole wheel. I mean, that's the selling point right there. A shop can br- maybe brag to their customers, we just got this piece in, just cut from a whole 220-pound wheel. Yeah, it's only 25 or 50 pounds. But this was cut today for us. We're offering it to you. It just cut off a 210-pound wheel. Maybe around the holidays, we'll bring in a whole wheel. But right now, have some cheese. Enjoy. And, and uh, I think... S- some of that is lost with the bigger, some of the bigger distributors who may not even be allowed, depending on their local health department. You know, allowed to bring in the around cheese? The, around the, allowed to cut their own. Maybe some distributors are limited in that, too. They're not allowed to cut. So maybe those big wheels of Emmentaler are disappearing or they are, there are less of them made or sold because the people that bring them into the country, the people that make them in the country that they're made in, and the people that bring them in in the country that they bring them to – us, you know, here in the United States, um, aren't able or find it very difficult to do the work to get that cheese in? Well, it takes work and effort to actually really understand and sell the cheese. Uh, Meanwhile, there's other versions of the cheese, which also add to the confusing element about why maybe a cheese shop that you visited doesn't have the Switzerland Emmental. There's French Emmental or there's Emmental from the Algal. There's, you know, other parts of it. So the word itself, Emmental, is not protected. Switzerland Emmentaler. That's a big deal. It, yeah, that the word itself is not protected. Switzerland Emmentaler is the AOC protection of. That's the name that's protected. Switzerland Emmentaler. Emmentaler could be made in other parts of the world and has been made in other parts of the world by Swiss, you know, uh, folks who have left Switzerland decades ago for, through economical, you know, reasons. Through uh, Emmentaler is a place, correct? Yeah, Emmental. You got, well, the Emmy, you got the Emmy Valley. It's a Emmy, valley. It's a valley. The Emmy River, the Emmental Valley, Emmentaler. It, it, well, you add taller, I believe it's uh, the German word for valley. Right. Yeah. So Emmentaler is a place. Emmentaler is a cheese. Switzerland Emmentaler is the AOC protected cheese. So the, the cheese that we're losing, or the lost cheese we're talking about, is Swiss Emmentaler AOC. Yes, that's the one that inspired every other cheese that was, has holes in it. My my nine year old son who draws a piece of cheese, <laughs> he's going to draw a piece of Swiss cheese, <laughs> and it's going to have it's, holes. It's going it. to have holes in it. You know, if you see a cartoon of cheese, that's all from Switzerland in the Emmental. Well, I hope that it doesn't get lost completely. How is Gormino doing? And are, are you guys are you guys seeing sales go up? Or are you getting this info out to people? Why should we be buying that cheese? Well, it's, it's the base of the mountain, right? So if you're doing good work in Alpine, don't you want the base of the mountain represented well? And don't you want the largest 
AOC raw milk cheese in the world in your cheese case in some way, shape, or form. And, and maybe you get to be picky about it, too, which we enable you to be picky. We, enable, we give you choices. We're giving you, we give you one choice. It's the, it's the slow food approved label of the Emmentaler. And what's that one all about? This is the only production in the world that is made where, they, where the cheesemaker, Bernard Meyer, he and his wife, um, uh, Marley, I believe is her name, um, the, you know, they're a family that, that makes Emmentaler every day. They make two wheels a day only, and they carry the whey from batch to batch. So that's one big differentiator in this make within the AOC. So it's the only Emmentaler in, within the whole AOC that, that doesn't use the distributed cultures. They use they carry the way from batch to batch. It's all in house. In house, there. and they had to learn that from somebody who was, it was almost completely. Like, I had to learn from someone who was retired. It hasn't been done in fifty years, even this so way. So that was truly lost. Yeah, that was lost, and they had to bring that back. Oh, that's great that they did. And that gives you, of course, you know, the taste of the microbiota of the of the whole place the cheese is born in, and don't we don't want to lose that's those real kinds deal. of things in our in our food world do we really? no we don't and, I, and unfortunately i feel we are no matter what we do about it maybe that's just the kind of mood i'm in today but i'm glad to hear that uh, that those folks are still doing that and that's something that you distribute that we make it so it's that's a gourmino dairy so we make it and we age it in our cellars in Langnau, in the heart of them and taller so when you if you were to buy a wheel or a piece of that wheel you can proudly know that it's, this is the most authentic version you could possibly ever wish for. What should piece. I ask for if I was a guy who wanted to buy that cheese? I think this, the, 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 the shorter title of it is, could I, do you have Gormino Slow Food Emmentaler? That's you know. pretty easy. Even an idiot yeah. like me can remember that. Yeah. Slow Food, it gives it the nod, which, which gives it some uh, presence also. Shit, I'm older than dirt, and I can remember how to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for giving us a little bit of a look into your company and what it does. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Emmentaler, maybe less about why it's lost, because it isn't. Otherwise, Joe wouldn't be sitting here with me. But we're going to talk a little bit more about it, the history of it, and um, how it's been in the news lately. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Listening to Intrigue by Obey City. This is Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The Academy Opus Caseus is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering training for cheese professionals ready to move their careers to the next level. 
The Academy is the only professional cheese school integrating hands-on practice, formal instruction, and curriculum-related visits in every course. The Academy's core courses for mongers and affineurs are offered at the Mons facilities in France, and abridged courses are offered in Vermont, California, and London. A structured discipline of sensory analysis is practiced daily. The Academy has been recognized by the American Cheese Society as an approved education center for those preparing for the certified cheese professional exam. Here's a reading of a quote from Kevin Palmaccio, a graduate of the program. The balance of time is what sets essential foundations apart from other educational opportunities. While the classroom is important, spending time at the goat farm and working alongside the Mons staff immersed us in real work and taught me real skills I've already applied in my career. As a relative newcomer to the cheese business, daily concentration on sensory analysis was paramount. As a cheesemonger, I'm now in a better position to familiarize myself with a wide range of products and sell with more confidence. For more information and to apply for courses, visit their website at academy-mons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E-M-O-N-S.com. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hey there, guys. Welcome back. This is Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. We're here today with Joe Salonia, Sting Chef, talking about a lost cheese, Emmentaler. Um, I went a little long in the initial portion of our show, but that's all right because Joe doesn't have anywhere to go, and I'm going to make him sit here for a long, long time. Um, I wanted to turn to Emmentaler specifically um, now. So just last week, there was a study published about the holes in Swiss cheese. Uh, that hasn't been making its round on social media. The New York Times even wrote a little piece about it. And scientists claim to have figured out that hay particles in the milk before the cheese-making process are actually causing the holes to form in the cheese. Is that true? Yeah, this even threw me for a loop because I'm, I like to, make, like to you know, be up on the this stuff kind you're of selling. stuff, the stuff I'm selling. <laughs> and uh, so I dug into it a little bit, and uh, the article... You know, it may be take. It could be easily taken out of context, but it's it's a pretty truthful article about the hay particles. So, an elaboration on that to keep it, if you want to keep it kind of simple, is that through like the last twenty or thirty years, there's always been some hay particles in the cheese, which right? Is, which have helped the holes form, right? So, clean milk means less holes. Yes, I mean, if you take it back a thousand years ago, there was like more really dirty reasons why the holes happened. Right, was an accident, like you know, just completely. There's maybe a little know, poop in there. Yeah, yeah, there's was, some stuff in there. Yeah, that's like historically maybe how the holes really got there. Right, but, it's, but since you know Emmentaler as we know it has been being made as we know it since about 1815, when like the real first factory um, was made in Kazan, I believe is the, the town's name in Switzerland, which is not far from our cellars in, in central Switzerland. And, uh, and the, uh, through the years, through the course of time, uh, the, the process is constantly being refined. And especially in the last 20 or 30 years with a real modern uh, ways of helping milk, you know, coming from the cow into the, uh, the dairy, uh, and bringing it to the cheese making facility, all that there's, there's, less of a chance of it being contaminated than it was, say, 20 or 30 years ago. So the milk has been getting cleaner and cleaner, and therefore something that they had to actually come up with a way to help compensate for How the clean hay. the milk was. Yeah. And so I'm told that, that there's hay particles added in. They don't, necessarily, they don't necessarily make the holes, but they help form, and let's, let's call, we'll call it a nest for, for the sure. bacteria to 
start and form to for that hole to happen. They give it a foundation or something to eat that could possibly produce the CO2 or the the gases that make the cheese blow like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a kind of a, a you know, a, a kind of a mind-boggling new piece of information to have about the cheese uh, to see that I never maybe that. measuring like a quarter teaspoon of hay particles. <laughs> I don't know. It's that simple. <laughs> like when they add in other, other rennet, like it's like that. I don't, I'd Maybe like one to really parts see. rennet, two parts hay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's, that's how it was ex- explained to me. I'm sure it's done with exacting standards, just like anything else that's, uh, that it seems to happen in, in Switzerland, which is part of the, if you ever were to visit there, you'd fall in love with the country, you know, for it's the, the beauty and of how everything is just so it's majestically done, you know. It's pristine, and uh, those are perfectionist uh, methods that are making the cheese, or at least from my observation, and my uh, totally uneducated. Yeah, the you precision, know, you know, yeah. I think is a good word that applies to the Swiss cheese making culture. And kind of like the watches, you know. Yeah, you imagine they make pretty darn good watches. So, uh, as a culture, uh, you know, why not make the cheese the same way? <laughs> yeah. Um, a few months ago, Charlotte Kamen, a buddy of mine and a buddy of yours, wrote about Emmentaler in her column for Munchies in Vice Magazine. And she called Emmentaler the everybody loves Raymond of the cheese world. God awful, and yet people really seem to like it. Um, I thought that was a hilarious line. Yeah, I, I, I loved that when I read that. Because, you know. Uh, that's freaking hilarious. Uh, yeah, it was. But what have you found public perception of the cheese to be like today? And what's the monger's reception to Emmentaler? I know we. we I don't think there's a better TV show analogy than that. I don't. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't think there could possibly. Yeah, that's be. A, that was a great line. That, that's going down. You know, but but what are the, the what are the mongers and consumers? Do they look at the cheese the same way you think? Well, and, and if before I start talking to them, I think they do, and then once I give them a little more information, maybe they start to view the cheese like uh, I don't know a a. a, a digitally remastered color version of the honeymooners maybe like maybe that happens you know like 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 it's we're not disagreeing but but uh you know with a little more information we can help the mongers find a selection within the category that they could be proud to sell and i think that's that's kind of with the mongers the ones i've come across there's been plenty that are like dude i just don't like the profile or, hey, I didn't know I can get a whole, cut from a whole wheel. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have this. Well, we, thing, we had talked know? about that before today. Yeah. They, did, they just didn't even know that there's someone handling whole wheels. I introduced them to the, to the right distributor that can fresh cut for them. Now they're proud is the point. You know, they want, mongers want to be proud. They want to yeah. be something they can be proud of. A loaf of cheese makes them not as proud. No, it makes them think they're supposed to put yeah. on like a slicer. And even that maybe this article is referring to a fresh cut wheel, uh, uh, but... You know, there's still, I think, some truth in knowing that the public likes it, and 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 I don't know that anybody, especially someone like Charlotte, I can't speak for her, but I, I'm sure there's, she's still proud enough to bring in the wheel, even though it sounds like maybe she, it's not one of her faves. So no, I don't. I, I don't. I wouldn't profess to know that. I just I just thought that was a great a great line. I I yeah. I, I related to. It I think and, it's you know. the recipe works. So whether it's the TV show or the cheese, the recipe for that kind of. You know, it's working. It's working. You know, folks like the, you know, there's enough folks out there who, who like that profile. And so how can we do good work within that? And uh, I'm hopefully, you know, representing a company that can help you with that. Well, I think that you are. So I just want to recap a little bit. Um, you know, you know, 
maybe our listeners are wondering, like right now, like how so how is Emmentaler a lost cheese? You know, um, it's present at some counters across the country. Um, you can probably find it at like Costco. You know, it's probably out there. You know, doing in big cryovac blocks. Um, yet you launched a hashtag save the Emmentaler on social media. You're wearing you're wearing that shirt, which I liked, by the way. I got one for you here. You oh, that's. I hope it's like triple X large. <laughs> um, but so, just recap and tell us a little bit about how this historic cheese has been lost, just so that we know. So, just off the bat, I'm thinking the themes that we that that we that we spoke about that are true of many traditional European cheese, such as industrialization, um, maybe cultural shifts in Switzerland ecological changes and name protection issues. We actually did an episode. It was uh, number 194 for our listeners who are interested uh, with Rachel Perez and uh, David G about the issues around name protection where we talked about how European cheese names reflect not only the cheese itself, but the location was you know where it was made. And um, you had mentioned before briefly that that's a, lo- that's a big issue with, with Emmentaler. And do you think that that's a contributing factor to why the cheese or why I or why we should consider it a lost cheese? I think there's a lot of factors, you know, going uh, a little against the cheese that are, that are not helping uh, folks find, you know, the, the most authentic version of the cheese or at least getting a fresh cut. I think a fresh cut is a big component to why it may be lost. That's, in my opinion, that's what I'm... Not buying the whole wheels. Yeah, I mean, buying a whole wheel is a really difficult thing to ask anybody to do. Even even some distributors hesitate, you know, because they want to sell the whole wheel at once. They don't want to cut one piece and then watch, you know, 150 pounds of it hang around. So, you know, uh, meanwhile, they're handling maybe pre-cuts of some kind or, or loaves. So they're getting the real authentic cheese. The cheese is finding its way to, to some shops and some chefs. But it, you know what's what's li- what's a little lost is when you're working with anything that's not in its pure form, you start to relate to it. I think differently, and I think over over the course of time, that's been the biggest contributing factor is is the is the competition within the category. You know, a cheese like Jarlsberg or some of the other uh, type cheeses that you know the format's smaller. So we're getting back to lo- you know logistics of the cheese and. Uh, the loaf uh, business has, you know, not exactly helped. The romance and story of of the cheese hasn't really helped it. If I, if anything, it's it's sad, you know, really put a ding in, in understanding hurt. the cheese. Yeah. So, the way people eat, the way people distribute food to the people who eat it. So, so it's all of the factors. Basically, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of that, and then there's the economics of, of uh, you know when you want to when it comes time to purchase a piece of Emmentaler, um, you'll find that the a piece of Emmentaler is is you know a few bucks more a pound than, than some of the other uh, you know versions like that. Like let's say like Leerdamer. Yeah, they're they're you know considerably if you know if you're gonna, and that has holes too. You're going to pay three, four, five dollars more a pound, <laughs> and you know there is this. Uh, the mindset with a lot of folks that will buy cheese, you know, and my family included, there's people in my family that they, they, more flavor means more money. So, um, you know, that, that, that will get someone to buy, spend more money on cheese. But to get them to understand authenticity and appreciate that and spend more money on that, that takes a little more, uh, you know, distribution of information or helping them get, make an educated guess. So maybe there aren't enough people making um, the consumer aware of why – this cheese is what it is. I, I think there's room for 
more education on, on the subject. I, I, I'm finding that when I talk to experienced cheesemongers, they, they're listening to what I, you know, they're listening to anything I can offer them. It's, it seems as though it's useful. They're, they're happy to have extra information, and then they can make their decision there. And they're, uh, a lot of times they'll trade up. A lot of times they'll have maybe a pre-cut of Emmental or, or, or the loaves, and uh, they'll go ahead and be happy to trade up from that. So you think we need, they they just need to know how to they just need to know how to sell it to know how to let people know that this is something they need to buy. Yeah, I think that if you're educating them on the fact that it's made with raw milk and uh, the the cows eat only hay, fresh fresh dried hay or grass, never any preserved you know hay known as silage, and uh, the, the the cows, the, the standards of agriculture. I mean, you can't get too technical if it's just a layman person walking in a grocery store. Understood. But you uh, you try to tell them, hey, here's a cheese with 800 years of history. It's raw milk. This is the real deal. It's cut from a 200-pound wheel. And uh, sometimes the resistance to the size of the wheel, whether it's a quarter or an eighth, can, can uh, actually be your way to actually sell the cheese. You're better off embracing the size and put it on display at your cheese counter and just go with it as opposed to trying to find a way to put the quarter of a wheel away into, you know, into How to cooler. cut it down into a million pieces? Yeah, like, like try to work with as big a piece as you can, because that's, that's the cheese's best advertisement is its sheer size. No, I found that to be true uh, when I bought the Wheels of Emmentaler. I always loved um, – it was a great show. It was a good – it was a good – it was a good thing to, uh, to have people see you wheeling that down the, down the aisles and slicing it, it. It's a spectacle. It's a spectacle. It's a spectacle to behold and understand how much milk must have to go into. You know, one wheel, one wheel of Emmental requires about 1,100 liters of milk and the amount of work. Think about it. If you're going to, let's say you and I decide we want to make cheese, what are the, how, how long do you think it'll be before we get to the point where we're like, you know what, I think we're ready to make a 200-pound wheel of cheese. What do you think about that? I think you probably have killed me by then. <laughs> so think about the guts it takes to make a 200-pound wheel of no, cheese. that's a lot. That takes it, guts. And I mean, but, but that's the history of the cheese that people don't understand. They, need, they had all that milk, and they needed to do something with it in order to make it, you know, viable through, I imagine, the winter and the season where the cows did, weren't producing much milk, Correct. Well, cheese, that, that story, I think, is the parallel between all cheeses, preserving, preserving milk uh-huh. and, and understanding. You know, they learned, you know, uh, cultures learned, you know, at one point in time to cook the, cook the curd, and that would enable them to age cheese longer. And uh, that, that, that happened at a certain point in time. And then, and then the idea of exporting cheese became another way to bring money into a country that might not have had, I mean, maybe it was a point where, like, like Switzerland, they were, in the 1800s, they were doing a lot of, that was the height of really the cheat the Emmentaler dairy where they were doing the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, the mid eighteen hundreds, and that big graphic you see on this cheese centers around the, the romance uh, of of the cheese dairy in the center of Emmentaler, uh, where uh, a, a cheese dairy was built instead of a school, and there was a whole romance of the controversy as, as to why, but it was better for everybody, and, and then they were able to do what they wanted once they had the money they needed because their cheese was that good. That was a time where Switzerland was really realizing lots of international uh, selling of their cheese. They were becoming famous, and it helped them greatly, helped them, uh, you know, eat better and live better. So do we still need that big wheel of cheese? I think anything that has a history like that, if you're in dealing in cheese, I think it's important not to lose a touch 
with that. At least understand it and make your decision. You know, um, it depends on what your values are and how you approach cheese. It's it's probably a very personal choice, just like it is on what kind of movies and what kind of drinks you like to drink and what kind of art you like to look at. Um, you know, it's you have a cheese that's that iconic. It, you can't ignore it. Uh, maybe it's maybe some folks have uh, passed it by because they didn't know there were maybe better choices. And you know, I'm I'm still discovering you know where that line is. You know, as I meet more and more good mongers, it's it's been it's been I learn I think I learn more than 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 you know as I as I travel and, and talk to folks and then uh, they I make sure I learn. That's the beauty of this business. That's why we're all here. Absolutely. And to be able to do something that has a meaning like this is, is fun. Yeah. And it gives us a reason to, you know, get well, up I, in the morning. I agree with you. And, uh, and I think that that's a good point. And I hope that there are enough of us out there to realize the iconic status of a cheese like Emmentaler. And I know that uh, I'll do my best to try to help you to save it. And I'm sure a bunch of our listeners will as well. Um, I want to thank you for coming on today, Joe. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, man. And, uh, I appreciate it. That was really interesting. I know I learned a lot. And um, we're going to be doing another couple episodes about this topic of lost cheeses. Um, if you have any co- um, comments or thoughts, feel free to comment on our Instagram or Twitter, at Cutting the Curd. But um, until next time, buy massive wheels of cheese from Joe Salonia. <laughs> Take care. This is Greg Blaze for thank Cutting you. the Curd signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.